0: Welcome to King's Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. So, can you stand up and give a hand, and we'll open your hearts to Nathan tonight? Come on up. You Thank you. Have a seat. Oh, great! This is fantastic. Um, okay, uh, I got a lot to work through tonight. Uh, This is like a two-hour teaching, and I'm going to try to make it 35 minutes, Um, so we're just going to get right into it. Y'all ready? Yes. Here we go. Um, The first scripture that we have is um, a passage in John that we're going to skip, and we're going to get to our second passage of scripture. Um, The second passage of scripture, I believe, is in Revelation. Uh, There it is. Boom. Um, Let's read it together. Uh, The four living creatures, each of them with six wings. Uh, Six wings. Not two. I love that. Imagine being an angel with, with two wings. You're just like, oh, it takes forever. And these guys are like, uh <laughs> So they're up there. Super angel. Thank you, Gabriel. Uh, super angel. Did you just coin that? Yes. Super angel? Yes. You'd want, you'll would you want to TM that. With it. Yeah. Um, so they're full of eyes all around, which is a little creepy. Imagine that. You know what I mean? You have eyes all on your body. People are like, you're a pervert. I'm like, no, I just have a lot of eyes. Um, so... I don't know. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. So there's, there's these four guys and they have wings and they literally circle the throne of God. They're doing this right now. And then they sing the song that never ends. Um, <laughs> not that song. That song usually ends one of two ways, right? Um, that, the person just gives up singing it or you choke your little brother out. Um, So this song, the song that never ends, is this song of heaven, and it's Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Um, And that's what they do. They're singing it right now. Night and day, they never cease to sing Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. These guys have eyes for a reason, and they have proximity and wings for a reason to literally circle God, stare at him, and then sing a song that best befits him. And the word that they pick is holy. Holy. That's, the, that's, the, that's the, 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 the term that they're going to use to describe God up close and personal. Okay? Um, and just go with, there with me for a second. Because what I want to do tonight is just try to bring a balance. Um, they don't sing love, love, love. Um, in, the, in the Bible, God is called holy over 400 times. Jesus calls the Father, Holy Father. The demons call Jesus the Holy One of God. Like the freaking demons, they get it, yeah. right? Um, and then the third person of the Trinity, his first name is Holy. So that's nice, <laughs> right? So we should sort of, you know, put the pieces together. And like, okay, I'm 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 picking up on a pattern here, right? Uh, But you would think in a lot of our churches and a lot of our teaching and a lot of the lyrics of our songs, and I'm not against love, I'm in, right? Like, because God is love, and we're going to see this in a second, but you would think that God is is called love over 400 times in the Bible, and he's only called uh, holy twice. By the way, God's only called love twice in the Bible. Twice. Right? So just, just to bring a balance here. Um, our our generation has a, a major problem with the holiness of God and not a problem with the holiness of God. Now, every generation has problems with Scripture. They're unique problems with Scripture. My grandmother's generation, no problem with the holiness of God. My grandmother's generation, dude, like, she was born in, like, 1918. She lost a brother during World War II, half of her neighborhood to World War II, uh, you know, she, she went through, she's seen all kinds of horrible things. She totally believes in hell. Has no, her generation, no problem with the concept of hell. They're like, oh, for sure there's a hell. If there's no hell, God isn't just. If there's no hell, God isn't loving, is what they would say. But our generation has an issue with the idea of hell. Right? The, the idea that God would have problems with people. Right? That is not a biblical issue that you have. It's an enculturation issue that you have. Right? You're swimming in cultural soup. Good. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Dis- Discovery Plus of late. <laughs> For reasons that will not be mentioned. Um, right, The music that we listen to, the people that teach our university courses, what have you. Uh, look, we... we you have a lens by which you read Scripture, and you're going to have problems with Scripture that are going to be unique to your generation. This is why we need to read with the rest of the church historically, because it helps you get out of your cultural soup and, and not let things be such a private interpretation. What is my, my point here? My point here is that, whoa, God is holy. But you'd feel like if you go to our churches that God's is it's in the reverse, Right? That, that, that the Father is the loving Father and the demons call Jesus the loving one of God and the Holy Spirit is love spirit who drops acid and hangs out of Coachella. Right? Yeah, I just love love spirit. Love spirit is so oh, I love him. Okay, trying to bring a balance here. God's holiness has to do with his absolute moral purity. His absolute moral perfection he never misses buckets did you ever see that commercial i think it was from the 90s when like jordan is just throwing the basketball from everywhere like outside of the coliseum you know like and he hoops it that's god he just he he buckets every single shot he doesn't make bad decisions he doesn't do anything out of brokenness like we do he does everything out of fullness imagine that our art is going to be so good i mean Brokenness is redeemed in art, but imagine how, how good our art's going to be in the new heavens and the new earth yeah. when we're creating not out of angst or brokenness, but out of completeness, the way that God creates. Yeah. I think it's a divine, definitely part of us that we can redeem evil things, and the grace of God causes us to do that. I digress. God is love. Let's turn to the next scripture here. Next scripture. God is love. We know this is in 1 John 4, it's the same passage that he's called love twice. If you don't love, you don't know God. I love that. If you don't love people, um, then you don't know God. Which, by the way, one of the characteristics of love that we often forget about in 1 Corinthians 13 is that love rejoices with the truth. Speaking the truth in love that we may all grow up into him who is the head. You can't have spiritual maturity without the truth. And if there's nothing true in it, it's not loving. So that's why Christian love is different than worldly love. Because Christian love confronts. Dude, you got spinach in your teeth. You made me feel horrible about myself. No, I'm actually loving you, bro. Right? I hate that church. They point out spinach in people's teeth. Oh, okay. Yeah, super unloving. Amen, Nathan. I, I'll amen myself. It's fine. Uh, God is love, and He is love. His love, though, is a holy love. It flows from His holiness. The reason why He loves is because He's holy. The reason why He created us, He created creation, is because He's holy, and He always makes good decisions, and everything comes from His completeness. And by the way, He's, co- he's so committed to His holiness, and He won't violate His holiness. But he loves us. And the story of the Bible is this strange story of two kind of large ideas, the holiness of God and the love of God. And they're not juxtaposed to one another or competing with one another, but they really um, work. They're they're complementary. They work together. Um, And you see this throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament, we've got a, a holy God who's like, hey, I love you so much. I want to be your God. When I'm with you, you're going to win all your battles. I'm not going to set the diseases that I set on the Egyptians on you. I'm going to be your guy. I'm going to provide for you. Water's going to come out of rocks when I'm around. It's going to be so, you are going to benefit from this relationship, but don't get too close because you're sort of dirty, and it's it's your own doing, your own rebellion. I'm a holy God, and I can't partake in your rebellion, but I'm going to teach you to be close to me. Okay? And then, see, God's God's teaching a cosmic lesson. And so we learn we're learning from the children of Israel about the holiness of God and our own brokenness, and then he sends Jesus in the fullness of time, and then we and so we so that we can appreciate what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. Right? Why didn't God just send Jesus? Because he's teaching a cosmic lesson. Just another thought entirely. Okay. Now, uh, I love psychometrics. My brother believes that the Enneagram is evil. It is what it is. Okay? <laughs> I'm in. I'm into psychometrics. I, I like them. Okay, just go to Gabe's stories, and he'll tell you how demonic they are. It's wonderful, um, but I, I I like psychometrics. <laughs> I love I love psychometrics. Um, I, I'm into. I I my wife is obsessed with the Enneagram. Um, I, I like Myers-Briggs. anybody ever done the Myers-Briggs assessment? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I like them. Uh, there's this one called. Uh, uh, Bioenergetics, uh, my friend Jim McNeish dabbles in it, it's really cool, and it sort of follows the five childhood stages, uh, five childhood stages of wounding, or trauma, whatever you want to call it, it's young in psychotherapy, I'm into it, you know, like, uh, I don't have a problem with the idea that the personality is just you trying to protect yourself in the world of relationships, and the reality that I'm sure, you know, your parents mess you up, like, all parents, you're going to mess your kids up, we're, we're, that's going to happen. Uh, To varying degrees obviously, Um, but it's it's life is traumatic Life is traumatic because people aren't perfect people are sinful and we hurt one another and so our personalities like for example I love humor. I'm humorful because I I experienced so much trauma growing up humor is how I deal with the severity of a fundamental Christian education (laughs) You know like for real Yes, for real. When you're being told all the time, you know, like God is real and sin is real and people go to hell. You're like. <laughs> <laughs> right? For real, dude. My, this is just how I protect myself. <laughs> Thousand percent. I'm in. Okay. So. so but, but the point is here that the personality is just. It's a result of trauma. And trauma isn't really you. It's just your protective cocoon. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah, tell me about my trauma. I'm in. You know, give me some pointers on how to not be a horrible person. You know, I'm in. But the truth is, and this is what my friend Jim McNeish will say, the truth is is that you're not your trauma, you're your passions. The Latin word passion means to suffer. You are what you're willing to suffer for. That's who you are. You're not your trauma. So, yeah, tell me my Enneagram. That's great. But tell me... Like, what do you suffer for? That's who you are. Now, when I look at God, to use that analogy, when I look at the cross, we're coming into Holy Week here. And you want to know what God is like, which, by the way, if you're taking notes, this talk is called What Is God Like? If you want to know what God is like, look at the passion of the Christ. What does Jesus suffer for? What are the two big ideas? Now, there are plenty of theories on the atonement, okay? And I like them all. Uh, as Tim Keller, you know, observes, he's like, man, there's like all these different paradigms in scripture, so I'm into kind of a lot of them. You know, I love the ransom theory. I'm into that. As, as long as there's biblical precedent for it, there's a different angle for what Jesus, Jesus accomplished a lot on the cross. But there's two really big ideas that stand out. The first idea is that Jesus suffered for his holiness. That's the first major, it's, it should be the most obvious thing when you think about God. God, what are you like? I I see your suffering. Jesus, I know what you're like. I see your suffering. You suffered for your holiness. Because you will not bend on your holiness. You're not giving an inch of ground on that. Also, Jesus suffered for his love. Are you seeing that? So if you want to be a Christian and like a spiritually mature Christian that has mature thoughts about God, and when you think about God, you have thoughts that, that are, like, they have to do with reality, it's it's about God who is a person, he's not a cosmic force, God's not a vibe, he's a person, as a person, he has he, preferences, as a person, he's a pr- person, and he he's a certain way, and you don't decide what God is like, God decides what he's like, just like I don't pr- project onto you what you're like, I ask you your name, you tell me what you're about, and then I, you know, and, and I believe you, right? It's the same way. God is a person. He, 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 there's things about him that you ought to know. You don't decide what God is like. God tells you what he's like. And we, we see God's demonstration at the cross. He's holy and he's love. And as far as I'm concerned, our generation has gone this whole you know, love spirit vibe. And our, that's why our theology sucks. And our sermons are the same every single Sunday. Because it's like, okay, how do I find how God is love in the book of Kings? It's like, well, good luck with that. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's always the same song and dance, but with different carpet and lights. It's like there's more to God than that. You need a bigger theological lens. A better interpretive lens. To understand what God is like, if we can get that concept that God is holy and love, kids can understand this. Dude, when I was five or six, and my dad started—I think I was probably five or six—when dad started to give me the old belt, right? We, I was spanked. So traumatic. Oh, I'm so traumatized. I could—I I, as tra- as traumatic as spanking was, I was hit by a man. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean that. Um, What I meant is this. I was able to know that my dad didn't put up with my garbage and that he loved me at the same time. I was only five or six, but I had the emotional capacity and intelligence to know that there were two ideas that were not competing with one another, even though they were sort of strange. Right? I was so, in fact, there was a settledness when my father disciplined me. I knew, you know what? It's dad's home, and I trust him, and I'm safe here, and he loves me. It would calm the house down. The whole house would be calmed down in my house when my father would discipline us. He never did it out of anger. He did it because he cared about me, right? But somehow when we reached 21, we're just like, God never disciplines anybody. Right? God just, no, he's not like that. God's a desperate boyfriend. He's always slipping into my DMs. (laughs) He just keeps creating other accounts, and I keep blocking them. Right? He's so desperate for me. Oh. Are you okay? Right? You can run, you can hide, but you can't escape my love. That's Enrique Iglesias, bro. (laughs) God is not Enrique Iglesias. God is God. And you're, you're far worse than you think you are. But you're far more loved than you could ever imagine. And these, these are two biblical ideas that we have to keep in concert. They harmonize one another. And if we can't harmonize that, it's, you're going to have problems. Okay, now we're going to read the craziest passages of Scripture. You guys ready for this? Because there are what's the cost of not thinking about God properly? There, there, there will be problems. okay? Here we go. Okay, first worship service in the Bible, uh, Cain and Abel. okay? the two brothers, this is Genesis chapter 4, It's the first worship service. and Cain, uh, in the course of time Cain brings an offering to the Lord, as in just like he mails it in. Here's an offering. Here's a bruised banana and an orange that I don't care about. okay um, And then uh, C- uh, Abel, Uh, next verse, uh, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock um, and of their fat portions. So this is ancient Near Eastern speak for the good stuff. Things that I care about. The firstborn and the fatty portions. Okay? The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering because he brought the yummy. And Cain and his offering, he had no regard. He's like, what is this? I don't care about, you don't even care about this. So why should I care about this? You don't, you don't care, right? Like, it's not the amount, it, it's the cost. How does it cost you? That's what God looks at, right? Remember Jesus watching the, the, the bucket? By the way, Jesus still watches the bucket. And the widow gives her two pennies. That was everything she had. Rich Gude comes along just drops in all this cash. And Jesus is like, she gave more cost her more, right? So Cain was very angry. (laughs) His face fell. I'm sad. I am sad. I need some milk bar. I am so sad right now, Gabriel. He wanted to get milk bar last night. I'm like, stop, dude. Stop. You're single still. Give yourself a fighting chance. Okay. So, so, I, I have this, I have a younger niece. My niece's name is Georgie. I have two nieces. It's my sister's, my sister's kids, Frankie and Georgie, okay? Frankie's six. She's got a, a mullet. Uh, it's amazing. She looks like she's like the daughter of Joe Dirt. Um, she looks like she's from Florida, you know, like, and she's just aggressive, and she's she's a tomboy. She wears spandex. She's always ready to roundhouse kick somebody. She's always choking Georgie out when the parents aren't looking. Um, she's she's wild. She's nuts. And then Georgie is three years old, and she is the girliest girl you've ever met. She only wears. Dresses, she only wears dresses. She's obsessed with Disney princesses and she's obsessed with dresses. And when she puts a dress on, every morning she wakes up and she'll put a dress on and she'll stand in front of this big long mirror that my, my sister and my brother-in-law have in their house and she'll, she'll stand sideways in front of the mirror and she, and she like bites down on her tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll go like this, she'll look, and then she'll go. <laughs> she does like a little kickback like that. And if the dress spins, she'll wear it. But if it, if it doesn't spin, she won't wear it. She'll go and she'll put something else on. I was FaceTiming her a number of months ago, and she was with my, my mom. And it was Tiff, my sister, my mom, and Georgie. And they had just been thrifting some new dresses. And so mom has all these needles, they found some, like, these dresses were a little bit bigger, and so my mom's an amazing seamstress, and so they're, like, putting all the pins in, and the, all the, all the, the um, fabric is all bunched up at the bottom, and so Georgie has this on, and my mom goes, okay, spin for Uncle Nate, spin for Uncle Nate, and she's like, <laughs> you know, and she tries, but it didn't spin, because it's all bunched up at the bottom, and so she began to ball her eyes out. She was crying, and so my mom's like, wait, get it off of her, and we pulled it off of her, and then she put another dress on, and then, the, like, the, she stopped crying immediately right? Like, it has to spin. Uh, Georgie doesn't know me accurately, doesn't really care to know me accurately. As far as she's concerned, I'm, uh, I'm Willy Wonka. Uh, <laughs> I hook her up with chocolate and donuts. That's who she's obsessed with. She loves the truffles. You know those really rich truffles that you can get around Christmas time, and they're just like, you know, it's like a chocolate explosion. She's into those, and then she's into Krispy Kreme donuts, and um, so <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were at, a, um, we were at a, uh, a family barbecue in September, Labor Day. And, you know, we're barbecuing whatever. And I bring donuts for the girls. And so Georgie's freaking out. Sprinkles, you know, pink donut, whatever. And so she eats one. And my brother-in-law's like, dude, no more. Please, no more. And I'm like, okay, no more, no more. Um, and then, like, 10 minutes goes by. And, and Georgie's like, Uncle Nate, can I? Can I? And i'm like meet me by the pool and so we so we go over by the pool and i slip her this donut and she's like just go. and i'm like dude eat quietly you know you're gonna blow this thing and so we go inside to pray for, over dinner it's like four o'clock we're eating barbecue whatever Every, there's like 20 of us we're all standing in a circle georgie goes into the circle in the middle of the circle and she goes Uncle Nate, that was the best Jonah I ever had in my life. And I'm like, you little creep, you don't care about me, you narc, right? You sold me out. And everybody looks at me, they're like, Nate, and I'm like, What? You know, like I call Georgie and and Kane here uh, a Christian Buddhist. Christian Buddhists are people who want a relationship with God, but it's on their terms. And and they want a spiritual experience, and it's, I'm just having a journey. Um, But they don't care about who God is or what God necessarily wants. All they care about is does the dress spin? Mm -hmm. And what can I get out of the relationship? And if they don't get the chocolate, they don't get the donuts, and the dress doesn't swirl, then they get sad. Spirituality on your own terms. So Cain's sad here. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why, oh, why are you sad? And why has your face fallen? He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you, if you, do, not, uh, if you do well, will you not be accepted? You know? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. As in, Cain, you've got some, some issues here and you need to address them. It's, it's the Cain show. You know, it's, 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 you're a Christian Buddhist here, dude. You're trying to get something out of God, but, but putting in nothing and not caring about who God is and what God has required. And that worship's not going to fly around here. And if you fail at this altar, sin is going to destroy you. It's going to be worse for you. Uh, Cain spoke to, his, to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose uh, up against his brother um, and, and, and killed him. First worship service of the Bible, and somebody dies. Sheesh. Failure at the altar creates death in the field. Wow. Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, next verse. Next verse. Uh, I believe it's, uh, there it is, Leviticus 10. Two other brothers. This is their first day on the job. Nadab and Abihu. These are the sons of Aaron. They're Levites. This is their first day on the job. They've just been ordained with the, the, the blood the um, uh the ordination ram, and they've got blood on their their right thumb and blood on their right. Uh, it's just the blood is just drying on their on their right lobe and on their right thing, and they've got their their nice new garments on. And they take a censer and they put fire in it and they laid incense um, on it and authorized uh, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Uh, they presume, they assume, they speculate on what god has required and god's really strict he's just going hey i'm a person i'm not a vibe you'll worship me the way i want to be worshiped not the way that you want to be worshiped these this is the protocol i'm a holy god and once again you guys are going to win for this but i just i'm a king i've created everything so just show me a little bit of respect worship me the way that i want to be worshiped but these guys are just like oh we can just like do whatever and they they come before the lord and um and the result of course is that fire comes up from the Lord and consumed them and made them crispy (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Death at a worship service. Death at a worship service. It doesn't work out really well in the Old Testament when you just worship God the way you want. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Um, This is David. I mean, David's awesome. David's like the king of the... We've got, got his entire discography. He's great at worship. Wouldn't you agree? Knows a thing or two, right? Like kills it. Uh, he invented instruments. He's like a music. He's like a worship producer. He produced huge events in the Bible. Um, like this guy knows a thing or two about worship. Best of intentions in this chapter. He's wanting to bring the Ark of God into Jerusalem. That's a. That's what we want. We want the presence of God. So David's putting this huge event on, and he's got the whole band together. Songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Okay, this is great. Woo, here we go. Uh, and when they come to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it for the ox of just, just hold the verse there. Just go back. Just go back. Yeah, hold it there. Uzzah is a priest. Um, as a priest, he should know the protocol. The reason why he should know the protocol is because by this point, the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament have been written. The Torah, the, the Pentateuch, uh, the Law of Moses, okay? And the Law of Moses, the first five books, are just how to worship and not die by Moses, okay? <laughs> okay, literally. That's, that's, that if you wanted to just call like theologically the first five books, how to worship and not die, Moses, <laughs> by Moses, okay? So it's his job. It's literally it's his only job to tell people how to get the Ark of God places and to worship God. So this guy should know better. But what does he do? He puts the Ark of God on an ox cart, which is the equivalent of an old beat-up Ford F-150 truck. The Ark of God is, like, not something that you put in the back of a pickup truck. Like, for one, it's overladen with gold, so that should indicate value Do you know what I mean? Also, I don't know, it's God. You know, like, maybe let your dog ride in the back of a pickup truck, but not God. I wouldn't even put a TV that I cared about in the back of a pickup truck. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, we'll just bungee her down. No, we won't bungee her down. How about I bungee you down? (laughs) Right? But Uzzah thinks this is a good idea. So what happens is the oxen stumble, right? Like, the, the, the truck blows a tire, and now the Ark of God's going right? And Uzzah's like, oh, no. And he touches the ark, and God's like, you suck. <laughs> Kills him. They came to the church, Uzzah put out his hand the ark of God, uh, the oxen stumbled, next verse, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against. I mean, obviously, obviously, God's like going, why am I in the back of a truck? You have this much contempt for me to just presume, assume, and speculate on my grace? that i literally that i i am that low to you you put me in a truck are you kidding me right now oh my me uza you're done you're taking a break buddy because you suck you had one job one job uza right and so (laughs) god struck him there because of his error what was the error not just to touch the ark but where the ark was and he died there beside the Ark of God. Okay, next passage. This is a parallel passage um, in Chronicles. It tells the same story, but a little bit later on. David, this is, uh, some time passes by. The Ark rests at this guy's house. This guy gets blessed. David's like, hey, we need to get the Ark. Remember that like horrible worship incident where a guy died again at a worship service? Uh, we need to go down and get that Ark because I want the presence of God. We need to, we need to sort this thing out. So David gathers this whole homeschooler convention, and he's like, hey, guys, you're the Levites, and we need to go and get this thing back, okay? So let's keep reading here. He, he summons the priests and he says, guys, you're the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us, because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the Ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. Uh, and the Levites carried the Ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. So God's just saying, hey, I'm not like asking for a lot. I'm just asking, you know, the way that you revere kings in your day and age, where you put them on a pole and they, they carry them around. And, you know, they're eating grapes, you know, and they, every <laughs> now and they peer, you know, I don't know. I want that. I want to be thought of as your king, not put on a freaking ox cart. You hearing me? Right? Don't worship me the way that you want it. You think, oh, this will just be easy. No, I'm God. I'm God. Oh, my, oh my God. I'm God. Right? And so then, this, it's actually in this passage that David dances, you know, in his underwear before the Lord. And so you have spirit and truth here. You have them following the order, and the ark is being brought the right way. And then you have David just abandoning himself in worship. It's an incredible passage of these two concepts being married together. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, This is is our last passage in the Old Testament, and this guy's name is Uzziah. Um, Uzziah was an amazing king. Uh, When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. It's not his lane. It's not his job. You're not a priest. Priests do that, not kings, okay? So uh, the priests went in after him, and they're like, dude, what are you doing? Um, Long story short, without reading it all, leprosy breaks out on his head, and he dies of leprosy, okay? Another death at a worship service. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, Nate, that's fantastic. You just read a bunch of scary passages in the Old Testament. There's lots of them. And I'm on this side of the cross, so your stories don't really intimidate me. That's fine. Let's keep reading in the Old Testament where people keep dying at worship services. Acts chapter 5. You know this one? Yeah. Yeah. They keep dying. Two people. They're Christians. They lied to the Holy Spirit. You can't lie to the Holy Spirit if you're not a Christian. It's at a worship service. They're giving of their money at the apostles' feet in a gathering. And they lie to the Holy Spirit, and God's just like, you know what? You're done. Well, no. 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 No, no, because God is love, and he would never do that. And What about grace? Yeah, I'm reading the New Testament, dude. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Next passage. Um, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to land the... the there. We go. 1 Corinthians There it is. Yeah. Okay. Cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation... The idea here is that... So Paul's setting up 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 10 here is saying, hey, um, it's a cup of blessing. It's, it's not a mid-service snack, right, right? Like, if it was, we'd need at least 20 of them, <laughs> right? It, 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 you don't, and you don't just take it. It's not just an ordinance either where you, you have to do this and just think about God for a second and then be like, oh, Jesus, that's sad. Oh, you were just in your underwear. That, oh, thank you. Okay, you know what I mean? Like, that's not what it is either. Um, communion is a cup of blessing. You need the blessing of God, you need the power of the blood of Jesus Christ in your life. And so when you drink that juice by faith, you are drinking the blood of Christ. Not the literal blood of Christ. Don't get all medieval on me. Right? But you are drinking. There's power in the blood. The blood of Jesus is what's, what cleanses you from all unrighteousness. There's, there's provision in the blood of Jesus for not just your spiritual needs, but also your physical needs. Amen. Did you know that? jesus came that you could have life and life to the fullest life more abundantly i'm not teaching prosperity i'm saying though that if you're sick there's provision for your healing if you need provision if you need fine, there's provision god cares about your body he cares about your life he cares about your emotions your physical health your emotional health your spiritual health your psychological health there's provision there it's the cup of blessing and when you eat the, the body, I mean, by his stripes, you're healed. When you're eating that little wafer, you are eating blessing into your life. Now, this is, we know this to be particularly true because when we read 1 Corinthians 11, we begin to see the adverse. Let's watch this in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. One second. What's happening here is, okay, number one, this is the worst church in the Bible. The the Corinthian church was a dumpster fire. Um, They had all kinds of issues. They had crazy sexual issues. Um, Like a dude was having sex with his mom. Paul's like, why? (laughs) Nobody does that. Why are you doing that? (laughs) Um, There's there's division. Okay, okay, the, uh, the way that the early church used to do church was like this. They'd have a potluck. At the end of the potluck, it was called the love feast. Then they'd have uh, the, the table of, of the Lord. It would, it would and it would terminate in the bread and, and the cup. And they're going, "Okay, guys, it's great that we all had a meal. It's fantastic, but we didn't just come here to have a meal. We're, we came here really for Jesus." And so they begin to eat and they you know you know and and, and, and begin to rehearse uh, the, the death. Of Jesus Christ and what he did, and and then they begin to sing uh, because that's what Jesus and his disciples did at, at Passover. They sang some hymns, um, and then they and as they begin to sing, the Holy Spirit would begin to show up, and he'd begin to manifest himself. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. People would begin to prophesy over one another and encourage one another. Get words and knowledge there'd be healing that's happening. Boom, and then they'd have a time of teaching, and then they'd all go home. Okay, that's what the early church. And what's happening at the at the very top of the service is people. There's disorder. Now, obviously, at a potluck, people that have food bring the food, right? And people that don't have food don't have nothing to bring. So they're eating the people's food that brought the food, right? The rich people's food, if you, if, you, if you want, whatever. But what's happening here is the rich people are eating all the food, and there's nothing left for the people who have no food, okay? So, so, so this is why Paul says when you eat the table of the Lord, it's not the table of the Lord that you're eating. Like, something else is happening. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. This church is unbelievable. Right? Like, all the food's gone. Dude's singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall up here on the altar. Right? And it's just like, what is happening? Um, what? <laughs> That's a great what. Like, what? What? <laughs> Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, right? If you want to do Super Bowl Sunday, do that at your house, but not at church. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Next passage. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. One second. Okay, contextually, what's happening We have to keep context here. And Paul will bookend this, and I'm going to show you as we read this, but contextually what's happening, once again, is these people, these people that are bringing the food and then eating all the food and getting drunk, they're making church all about themselves. What does it mean to eat of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner? It's when you're eating like a Christian Buddhist. Yeah, church is about me, and it's just my spiritual journey. And I'm just like and I don't, yeah, it's just really sweet. And Saturdays I have pottery, uh, Sundays I have church, Mondays I have yoga, and and it's just all really helping me manifest my dreams. And I'm just discovering so much about myself. Jesus is my life coach, and some of the stuff and like that they say is like I don't really vibe with, um, but some of it's good and it, like it helps me because it's really all about me. And I like to go there because I'm really getting fed, and it's kind of all about. That's eating of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. That's what Cain did. That's what Nadab and Abihu did. That's what Uzzah did. That's what Uzziah did. It's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. You know, they're, they're giving, but they're not giving. They're trying to get something out of the giving. And then this is what's happening here now. And so you're. What, what is, let, you know, examine yourself therefore, as in check yourself before you wreck yourself. right Why are you here? Are you here for the Lord? And have you said have you surrendered? Jesus, I belong to you. I will worship you God the way that you worship. and I, I, and I will know you accurately. I won't misrepresent you, I won't project onto you. Yeah, there's sin in my life, absolutely God, but um, um, I will I've, I've submitted my life to you. See the table of the Lord is for people who have sin. Right? Sinners can eat of the table of the Lord because you need grace. You desperately need help. So you should eat. If you have, like, oh, I I I have I was I say the F word a lot. You definitely need the table of the Lord. I have anger problems. Please eat. Drink up. You hear I me? Mean? You got sin issues? You need to eat. This, it's, the issue isn't it's not for sinners. Absolutely, it's for saints. People who are not Christians should not eat at the table of the Lord. Um, that's another point entirely. This is obviously for the church, but the point simply being that if you are making church all about yourself and you're this Christian Buddhist on your spiritual journey, it's not safe to eat the table of the Lord. Let's keep reading. Anyone who drink, who eats and drinks without disturbing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. I don't know about you, I don't need judgment on myself. I'm doing just fine messing my own life up, thank you very much. I don't need God stepping in and going, you know what, you suck. You hearing me? I need the grace of God. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Oh, there it is. Okay, when you're reading narratively in scripture, not every narrative is prescriptive. Sometimes it's just descriptive. So for example, Cain and Abel. The point of the Cain and Abel story isn't you should murder your brother. Right? It's not not prescribing a behavior. It's describing something that happened. But when you read narratively through the Old Testament and the New Testament and then it terminates in clear apostolic teaching, you should listen up. And what we have right here is this is clear apostolic. This is Paul saying, you know all those stories? Yeah, so that's still happening. The the title of my sermon is not God Kills People Sometimes. Okay? I'm going to show you that in a second. Some of you are like, I'm terrified, and I will never come to church again. (laughs) One second. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Okay. In Isaiah chapter 6, it opens up like this. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. We read about Uzziah. He was the king that went into the temple and he presumed, assumed, speculated, oh, I'm gonna worship whoever I want. Oh, I'm cool. I'm chill. I'm a priest. I'm good. God's obsessed with me. I'm super cute. <laughs> Isaiah sees God. The year that Uzziah dies of leprosy, Isaiah sees God and he sees the throne room picture that we read in, Rom- in Revelation chapter four and he sees the song that never ends and he sees the beast, holy, 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 and he hears the song and he's like, he's like, He pees his pants. And he goes, I'm dirty. I'm unclean. I am unholy. I should not be here. I have a potty mouth. I live with a bunch of roommates that have a potty mouth. Get me out of here. And God responds to that by sending an angel with a coal from the altar to cleanse his lips. So the point is, show some self-consciousness. God's just looking for somebody to show self-consciousness. But our generation doesn't show it. It's like, oh, I'm good. I'm, good. I'm just a victim. I've never done anything wrong. I'm, it's a lot of trauma. I'm a victim. And God is just obsessed with me. And anything that I do, <laughs> he's just so obsessed with. I can worship however I want. The Bible's kind of just, it's on the side, right? That's not going to work. It's not, in fact, it's not safe. If you worship like that, you are, you're risking spiritual death at least. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This is one of the reasons why scholars believe that Ananias and Spire didn't go to hell. God just judged them, and He's like, okay, you're coming home. It's a timeout for you. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians 11, then it bookends. Remember I told you it would bookend contextually? So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. Boom. Okay. Last verse, and we're done. We're out of here. Um, uh, pull up Hebrews. Hebrews, there it is. Okay. Um, okay, so then, Nate, what do we do? What do we do? Uh, we be grateful. How, like, how do I come to church and not die, essentially? Well, it's, it's, it's easy. <laughs> it, it's super easy. So, number one, you just, you, you be grateful. God, thank you that you've forgiven me. You show some self-consciousness. I am a sinner, and I need saving. This is why we have to preach repentance in our churches again. You cannot have a gospel without repentance. There there is no salvation without repentance. I'm so sick of that message. There's, there's, There's zero repentance. Dude, we all have sin in our life. All of us have to pick up our cross, every single one of us, and follow Jesus. And when we show that self-consciousness, I'm unholy, Jesus is like, I love that about you. I love that you're, you're aware that I am holy and that you're not. Here's the call, I've cleansed you. Repentance, metanoia, means to agree with God. God, I agree with you about my situation. You're right, this is sinful. You're right, God, these patterns that I've been thinking are wrong. I agree with you about that and I need your grace. I'm taking communion today. I need your grace. I need your power. I'm sitting under the word. I'm worshiping. I need grace in my life. Let's be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship. As in worship that he's asked for. What kind of worship has he asked for? Well, the Bible's full of it. Get to know God. Find out what He wants. It's the reason why we tithe. It's the reason why we lift our hands. It's the reason why we sing. We're doing these things because we're doing them, because God asked for them. We're not offering Him strange fire, we're offering Him sacrifices that He's asked for. With reverence and awe. Why? Because God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. Once again, meant to, to elicit a little bit of a oh, just peed in my pants a little bit. By the way, this is the New Testament, okay? Last thought. I grew up in Canada, um, and in Canada, it's probably like uh, northern New York, yeah. It's winters, it's lots of snow, and we do uh, bonfires. We love bonfires. And um, I I love bonfires. I'm obsessed with them. And everybody's having a bonfire every weekend, even during the summers, because Canadian summers are freezing cold. Um, So we're like having these bonfires and we're all getting together and, you know, marshmallows and and having some beers and all our friends are there and just having the best time ever. And I've never thought in a million years, oh, I'm terrified. Oh, there's fire that's going to be there. Oh, I hate fire. Fire destroys things. Yeah, it does. Right, but never in my life have I ever thought that there was going to be a problem because I respect fire. Every time I go to a bonfire, man, we have the best time ever. There's guys in my high school in Canada that, like, they'd build a bonfire up to here. Like, the hockey team would do this. And they'd drink, like, 24 Labatt Blue, and, and then they'd jump through the fire. And without fail. Every Monday, they'd come in, and, like, part of their jacket was missing, and some of their hair. You know what I mean? They're just like, sweet yes, dude, jump through the fire, man. You know, it's like, enjoy that. But I, I, I've never been I've never been burnt because I respect fire. So how, how do I how do I survive a relationship with God? Because ultimately I think that's the question that our generation needs to ask again. I'm I'm concerned for our generation. I'm really concerned about the way that we worship God, how cavalier we are, how there's no reverence, there's no awe. It's not about oh, I, I, what are you talking about, Nate? I don't wear a hat in church. Yeah, that's not reverence and awe. It's, it's, I'll give you an, a, an idea of reverence and awe. It looks like this. When you read the Bible and you come to a part in the Bible where you don't like, you assume that God is right and you're wrong. That's reverence and awe. Where you go, God, I, I just want to know more about you. I'm not going to look for excuses or, or workarounds. Jesus you're Lord of my life and if you are Lord I'm going to find out the things that you said I'm not going to try to divorce Jesus from the things that he said or read onto Jesus um, foreign ideas about love he's, he's holy and he's love and both of those things work together and so God I'm going to worship you if you've asked for my money I'll give it if you've asked for my time I'll give it if things in my life need to be reordered I will. that will happen not perfectly, because God's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for somebody who will go, okay, I'm in. I'm in God. You can't be perfect. It's never gonna work. That's why you need Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? Let me just pray for you. Father, thank you for thank you for your church. Thank you for your people who you love. Lord, your affection is on your church. You love your people. You resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, knowing that in due time you will lift us up. Lord, you reject the proud. You shut them down. But you show grace and power towards people who submit themselves to God. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you. If there's been places in your life where your worship has been all about you, you've made church all about yourself, the Bible has become just a coaching session where you take it or you leave it, I wanna give you an opportunity to repent tonight. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward, but just between you and the Holy Spirit, you, you know the Holy Spirit knows he knows those areas in all of our lives. I think that at times we're all a bit guilty of it, no God, I'm going to worship this way. you know to, to varying degrees. But if there's place in your life where the Holy Spirit's just underlining, he's highlighting, he's circling some areas and he's going, dude, you know that this is this is bogus. Just right now in your own words, Lord I, Lord, I need you. Lord I've been wrong. Lord I repent. Lord, I'm forsaking that. God, I'm leaving that, that that way of thinking. God, I'm done with that way. I'm not gonna be a I'm not gonna be like our generation that is enculturated to the point where we just don't even believe scripture anymore. No, I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna be a Christian. I'm gonna be a Christian like the generation before me, like the generation before them, like the generation before them, the generation before them. When I come to Scripture, God, if you say it's sin, then it's sin. God, if you want this type of worship, the Father is looking for people who worship in spirit and in truth. God, you're looking for truth on the inward parts, and so, Lord, the, the, the words that I think, the meditation of my the words of my mouth, and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. God, when I think of you, I want it to honor you. When I when I talk about you, the way I think about you, the way that I talk about you to other people, I, that will represent the God of the Bible, not a God of my own creation. And Lord, I repent. Lord, if i've been if i've been wrong if i've got it wrong and i've done it purposefully I've deceived myself and i'm deceiving others god forgive me i need we need you god we need you we thank we're thankful god that you're merciful and you're kind and you're slow to anger and you're loving and that you you cleanse us um, and that you as we humble ourselves and we repent we experience times of refreshing from Lord Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know Him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.